Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you so much for joining us on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, a family practitioner. He can be found at the WellMed Clinic at Loop 410 in Centerview, and in his practice, sees a lot of patients who, as he said off the air to our very special guest, wow, this is going to help me too, so I'll know when to refer for urological and kidney stone issues, and and it's something, uh, and, and, you know, Dr. Beck, knock wood. There's actually a Yiddish term for what I'm about to do. Are you now? Yeah, the Yiddish term is uh-huh. an achora, okay. which is a curse upon yourself. I'm going to say to you, I've never had a kidney stone, uh-huh. but I've heard they really hurt. So they say, I've never had one either, but from the patients that I've seen, you know, they can be very, very painful or they can be very mild. It just depends. Depends on the size, the location. and uh, But yeah, generally, you know, the consensus is that they're not fun. Yeah, we're going to go to the expert. Dr. Niraj Badawala joins us on our WellMed Radio hotline. He's with USMD at Las Colinas MacArthur Clinic up in the Dallas area. And Dr. Badawala, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you grew up in Dallas, earned your medical degree at the Baylor College of Medicine, completed your residency at Barnes Jewish Hospital, and you enjoy, you tell us, practicing general urology with a special interest in kidney stones, so you like seeing people in pain. <laughs> well, that comes from personal experience, you know. Unlike the two of you, unfortunately, I've had about four stones um, so far that I've passed. And so I know firsthand, you know, what it feels like. Yeah. How much does it hurt? <laughs> As you said, you know, it can be variable, but, but it, it can hurt a lot. I mean, you know, I would say that probably the worst pain I've ever had yeah, uh, you know, it was the first time when I passed the kidney stone. Wow! They, they say it's almost like uh, you know what 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 you know females experience with childbirth can be that bad. Yeah, huh? absolutely. Uh-huh. Especially yeah, but they can get narcotics. Uh, well, you know, they get an epidural, you know, and you know here here you get pain medicine. Yeah. So let's do the uh, kidney stone one hundred and one, Doctor mm-hmm. Batawala, because a lot of people listening, like us, knock wood, have never had one, but have heard, wow, does that hurt? So what are they? How do you prevent them? And then if you got it, how do you treat it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, kidney stones are called that because they generally start to form in the kidney, right? So at the very basic level, you know, you have your urine is basically uh, essentially water uh, that's carrying all the waste product that the body is trying to get rid of, including certain types of minerals. And so stones form in the kidney when there's an imbalance of certain minerals so that, you know, you can get crystallization. And if that crystal if that crystal builds up and gets to a certain size, it, it can become a free floating stone. Um, you know they're very common. Uh, I'm sure you know some somebody who's had kidney stones or who has kidney stone right now. Currently, about eight to ten percent of the general population may be carrying around some kidney stones without realizing it. Now these stones can cause severe amount of pain. Generally, this happens when when the stone either gets to be very large. Or if it moves and gets into the ureter, that's the tube that drains the urine away from the kidney to the bladder, and gets stuck so that the kidney becomes blocked. And that's generally when all of a sudden you start to have really severe pain and people end up in the ER. 
I know stories about airplanes that have done emergency landings because somebody on the plane uh, was suffering from a kidney stone. Yeah, that's right. I actually have a lot of patients from the airport here because uh, pilots, you know, if they've had kidney stones, they're required to get annual screening done to make sure they're not carrying around kidney stones. And the stone itself uh, is what, calcium? Depends. Um, about 80 to 90 percent of stones are calcium-based stones, and even Within calcium-based stones, you know, you have certain other subtypes. But you can get other types of stones, you know, more commonly things like uh, uric acid stones or cysteine stones or in certain types of cancers, you can get other stones as well. Are some but worse than others? are calcium stones, that's right. Uh, are some worse than others? Not necessarily. In terms of pain, um, not necessarily. You know, the pain is really just a function of the size and the location and, and how much of the blockage or obstruction you have. Um, but uh, there, there are certain types of stones that are worse because they can be at more uh, likelihood of uh, coming back over and over again. Uh, you know, partic- particularly some patients have certain types of genetic conditions uh, where they are predisposed to getting numerous stones over their lifetime. If you just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, and we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Niraj Badawala, who is a physician up in the Dallas area at USMD, a urologist who specializes in things involving our kidneys and our bladders and uh, urological cancers and other issues. And we began talking about kidney stones. Uh, Is there an age, Dr. Badawala, where uh, you should be concerned about the potential for a kidney stone? Uh, If you're young, you don't get them. If you're really old, you don't get them. That used to be the case in the past where, you know, kidney stone was more of a disease of, you know, adult males. Um, But, you know, over the last couple of decades, that's really changed. So now, you know, now... Um, the incidence of kidney stones in women has gone up quite a bit. They're not quite equal, but they're approaching that. Do we know why? Um, unfortunately, um, we think that uh, part of it is environmental, just changes in our you know dietary habits as a society. Also, I think uh, increasing um, obesity has you know a, a lot to do with that as well. Um, unfortunately, kidney stones also have become a lot more prevalent in in, in young children as well, and so we're starting to see more of that. Really. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's new. I, I I haven't seen. I have yet to see in my in my practice. You know, not that I see kids now, but when I did, I've yet to see a kid with a kidney stone. Wow. So how how uh, yeah. uncommon is that, or common is that? It's it's uh, it's not very common. So you know, mm-hmm. in the past, you would see kidney stones in children mm-hmm. when they had certain types of genetic uh, conditions. You know, cystinuria yeah. uh, in particular. Oh, okay. um, again, with with uh, you know, kind of uh, worsening epidemic of obesity in, mm-hmm. in younger and younger children, you're starting mm-hmm. to see a lot more of calcium oxalate stones uh, as well. Why does um, it Why does it track with obesity? Um, we don't fully understand why. Um, you know exactly that may be the case. Um, we generally do see that uh, with obesity, there is a high association with. Uh, high amounts of calcium and oxalate, which are both, you know, some of the risk factors that can promote kidney stone disease. Also, you know, we, we do see in general, uh, you know, people who get kidney stones tend to have this, I don't know if it's really a genetic predisposition, but those patients generally don't get as thirsty. You know, I personally, I can tell you that I can go a whole day and not drink anything, and at the end of the day, I'm not thirsty. You know, and, and that's something that we see commonly mm-hmm. in patients who get kidney stones. But that's and not also a, sometimes in, in obese patients. That's not a good thing. It's not, and, 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 and uh, you know, so kidney stones, I mean, you have a genetic predisposition. You know, if you have a family history, you're at, at risk for getting kidney stones, but that's, you know, that's just a part of it. The other part is, again, what you eat and drink, because that's what, what's going to determine 
what's in your urine, you know, how much water and how much of the minerals that can, you know, promote kidney stones. You, you know, in, in the patient population that I see, you know, with WellMed, you know, where I see, you know, uh, you know, Medicare age patients, you know, mm-hmm. and postmenopausal women who are on calcium and vitamin D supplements, and then maybe, you know, men that take that too. Do you see an increased yeah. likelihood of kidney stones in, you know, in, in women, let's say, who are taking, you know, calcium and vitamin D to prevent osteoporosis? Generally not. Um, you know, as long as they're taking the recommended amount. Okay. Um, and so, so in fact, you know, one of the things that we go over after somebody has had kidney stones is mm-hmm. to kind of determine what their baseline risk is and, you know, what they can do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, you know, the, the common teaching was that, you know, you should be eating or consuming less calcium. Mm-hmm. However, when there were, you know, randomized studies done, the group that tried to consume less calcium actually had higher incidence of kidney stones. And that, that has to do more with when you um, reduce your calcium intake, you know, you're going to pull it from the bones, which is a bigger yeah. risk factor. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, um, you know, going back to your um, uh, point about, you know, patients who are on calcium and uh, vitamin D supplement, again, as long as they're taking the normal amount, um, that does not seem to increase the incidence at all. Mm-hmm. Now, people who have osteoporosis, you know, they could have hyperoxaluria because they may have other conditions, you know, hyperparathyroidism or something else that's mm-hmm. promoting the osteoporosis. Now, what is, so, hyper, yeah. what is hyperparathyroid? Hyperparathyroidism. Just an overactive so, parathyroid gland. It's a gland exactly. that sits Exactly. So from many different reasons, thyroid, you could get an yeah. overactive uh, parathyroid gland, um, which releases a substance called PTH, which will basically uh, promote um, release calcium of uh, calcium uh, from your bones, uh, which gets picked mm-hmm. up by your kidney, and as a result, your calcium levels in the urine go mm-hmm. up. Now, as I listen to you, and correct me if I'm wrong, I get the sense that drinking a lot of water can help prevent mm-hmm. kidney stones. Yes, exactly. So when you drink a lot of water, regardless of what other metabolic or mineral abnormalities you may have, you're just increasing um, the urine volume and you're diluting all the minerals. And so regardless of what type of stones you have mm-hmm. or what metabolic abnormality you have, if you just increase the amount of water you drink, uh, which is sometimes difficult to do, but if you can, that will reduce your risk of getting more stones for sure. That is probably one of the most effective ways to reduce the chance that you get another kidney stone if you had one. You know, just you know, for our li- for our listeners who are you know listening to this conversation, you know, uh, so what would be you know what would be the symptoms that they would feel or that they would you know experience if if, if they have a kidney stone or a potential for a kidney stone? So it, it depends. You know, if the stones are in your kidney, sometimes you may not feel anything. You know, sometimes you may have a little bit of blood that shows up in the urine, and you get an imaging test, and it gets picked up. If, again, the stone is very large or it's causing some kind of a blockage, typically you'll get uh, pain in your flank area. Depending on which kidney the stone is uh, uh, causing the problem in, you, you know, that will be very lateral, uh, you know, kind of upper in the flank or sometimes lower on the uh, abdomen, uh, generally just pain. That's the most common symptoms. Occasionally it will cause some blood in the urine that you can actually see, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes it can promote infection, so you can get urinary tract infection-like mm-hmm. symptoms. Now, pain equivalent to uh, uh, appendicitis? Yes, or sometimes worse. So mm-hmm. it could be misdiagnosed on occasion? Absolutely, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the type of pain that you get from a blocked kidney generally mm-hmm. will, will also cause some degree of nausea or vomiting, which, again, you know, sometimes it can be related to some kind of GI issues. And so a lot of people who initially get kidney stones think that they're either getting appendicitis or, or gallbladder, you know, cholecystitis issues. Right. Um, but, but it, yeah, it can definitely mimic that very much. All right, now stay with me just a minute. We are going to come right back at you. I'm Ron Aaron. 
along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. And we're talking with Dr. Naraj Badawala, who is a physician in Las Colinas at the MacArthur Clinic for USMD. And we're talking about his specialty, among others, dealing with kidney stones, kidney disease. We'll talk more with him about other issues like vasectomies and prostate cancer. We'll talk, too, about urological cancers as we continue with WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh. That's me. Caregiver SOS on air, Saturday mornings at 7.30, Sunday evenings 5.30, on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. We are so pleased you are with us here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. And we're talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. Naraj Badawala, who is with USMD in Las Colinas at the MacArthur Clinic, a physician who specializes in issues involving uh, urology, kidneys, and a whole lot more in that particular area of your body. Now, before we leave kidney stones, uh, I, I want to know, doctor, when should someone see a specialist or their primary care physician if they think they have um, a kidney stone? Right, exactly. If they have any signs or symptoms of kidney stones, you know, if you're having pain on your flank or um, on the side, um, if you're having any kind of uh, urinary problems such as blood in the urine, um, you know, then that's a sign that, you know, you need to be evaluated and make sure that you don't have kidney stones. Yeah. Additionally, sometimes what happens is you could have a small stone that you're able to pass on your own. If that starts to happen frequently, you know, um, then, again, there is a further evaluation that needs to be done to figure out what it is that's predisposing you to get kidney stones. Do you know if it passes? It, yes, um, you know, again, it depends on the size. You know, a lot of the smaller stones, um, when you are uh, going to pass it, you may not be able to tell unless you're straining your urine. But if the stone is large enough, then you'll feel it come out. Now, you had a couple more questions. Yeah, I just have a few a few uh, real quick questions. The first is, you know, just, you know, do you ever see stones without, uh, you know, microscopic hematuria? What is that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so stones without blood in the urine. So just because they don't have any blood on the urine dip and they're having flank pain doesn't necessarily rule out a stone. That's right. Um, generally, mm-hmm. though, um, y- you know, when stones are in the ureter or when they're obstructing, mm-hmm. um, very, very rarely um, you won't see uh, hematuria mm-hmm. or microscopic blood in the urine. Gotcha. Um, okay. But you, many, many patients have, you know, mm-hmm. kidney stones that are in the kidney when mm-hmm. they have no blood in the urine. Okay. And then if we have, let's just say, an asymptomatic patient who incidentally is found to have a, a kidney stone, let's say they had a CT of the abdomen and pelvis for an unrelated issue, or, you know, you did an x-ray and you see a stone. So if they're asymptomatic, at what size of the stone would you say requires a referral? You know, when a, a um, size that you're going to say is not going to pass on its own. When, when you say asymptomatic, they're not feeling any they're pain? They're not having any pain. No, there's no flank pain. There's no blood in the urine. You just you know, picked it up on a regular. But they have a stone. So, you know, you know, generally if it's below a certain threshold, then it may pass on its own. And if it's above a certain threshold, then usually it requires urological intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, 
again, there are some nuances because, you know, sometimes it really depends on the size. Uh, I mean, it depends on the location of the stone and, and things like that. But just a, a general rule of thumb is I would say, you know, a stone that's less than five millimeter has a pretty good chance of passing on its own. You know, awesome. um, it may cause some pain, but uh-huh. if you if you can wait long enough, the pain medications, generally uh, you will pass your stones. Okay. Um, you know, after five millimeter, it is still possible to pass kidney stones. Um, but the chances start to go lower, you know, as the size increases. Okay, and that's generally when they use Flomax or something like that to, to, right, to, to exactly. try to help push it along. It's just a medicine that kind of relaxes the bladder to help relaxes the ureter and, you know. So more space for the t- stone to go. Supposedly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So can we compare kidney stones to oysters in oysters caused by irritation? Yeah, I guess you, you could. That's That's one way to look at it. <laughs> I'm just curious. I've never seen an oyster in an oyster, but it could happen, right? <laughs> Supposedly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move mm-hmm. on for just a few minutes from kidney stones to other issues that you deal with. And uh, one of those, of course, is urologic cancers. Uh, are there symptoms to that? Uh, can you pick them up because the patient says, hey, this is happening, or do you need special tests? It depends on, on what uh, urologic cancer, uh, you know, you're referring to. So, uh, you know, the most common uh, cancer that we see is prostate cancer, you know, one of the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the country. Um, in the early stages, typically, uh, you know, you won't have any symptoms, you know, uh, that requires a, a, a screening blood test called a PSA, generally to be diagnosed unless it's a very aggressive variant or a very advanced cancer. Um, you know, there are other types of cancer, such as, you know, bladder cancer typically will... Uh, um, present with somebody having blood in the urine, either something that they can see or uh, uh, blood in the urine when uh, they get their urine tested as part of their routine um, you know, annual exam. Um, you know, uh, testicular cancer, which actually happens in younger guys uh, generally, um, will um, generally present either a, a, with a firm mass or some kind of pain or discomfort or swelling. Now, I've understood that uh, PSA exams, a blood test gives a lot of false positives. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Or false negatives. Or false negatives. So how do, you know, negatives. <laughs> how do you know what the test is showing is accurate? Good question. So as you know, you know, PSA test is, is not perfect, you know, and, and there's actually a lot of controversy about the utility of the test, how to interpret it, and, and, and what to do with that information. I would say that, you know, in general, it, it requires a very nuanced, it, it requires a very personalized approach, you know, when you get PSA testing done. So, um, meaning that, you know, PSA testing is not, not for everybody. You know, there are certain age range where it's recommended, where, where it is useful to be screened. Um, but if you are either below that age range, if you're too young, then you could have um, PSA elevation but very low risk of getting prostate cancer. Or beyond a certain age, when, when your um, uh, prostate is going to be expected to be uh, enlarged or um, the life expectancy is, um, you know, uh, short enough where prostate cancer may not cause you any problems, you know, PSA testing may not be very useful. Especially, um, to answer your question about, you know, what to do about false positive and false negative, um, generally, uh, you know, the, the practice is to repeat the PSA test a few weeks later because a lot of the times, you know, these false positives will return back to normal. Um, but if your PSA remains elevated, then, then you can't just make a diagnosis of prostate cancer just based on the PSA testing. It does require a biopsy to know for sure whether, you know, the rises because of prostate cancer or for some other reason. Now, for those who don't know, what does the prostate do? Good question. So um, 
prostate is responsible for making about 80 to 90% of the fluid that comes out in the semen. You know, the role of that fluid is that it, it helps um, kind of mature the sperm so that they can do what they need to do. That's the biggest uh, function of our prostate. So it creates a little river for those sperm to swim along with. Swim. Absolutely, exactly. And if you have enlarged prostate, does that affect mm-hmm. as well your ability to urinate? Absolutely. So that's one of the most common reasons, uh, you know, why a patient may come and see a urologist is that, you know, they're having some kind of urinary problems. Um, as we get older, uh, in general, most people's prostates will grow. Uh, now, they can grow in different shape and size, so some guys may have, you know, urinary problems related to having an enlarged prostate, and others may not. Um, think of your prostate as like a donut, you know, so um, the urine channel um, that we uh, urinate through kind of goes through the middle part of that donut hole. As the prostate gets bigger, you know, it could be that it's growing from the outside, or it could be that it, the inner hole is kind of getting smaller, and it's pushing on the urine channel, which can make it difficult for you to empty because your bladder at that point would require uh, very high pressures and may not be able to completely empty. And that's when, you know, it can start to cause more problems. And short of removal of the prostate, what are your options? So it depends. Um, Again, if you have an enlarged prostate but no other urinary problems, nothing needs to be done. That can be observed. If you have an enlarged prostate and you're having some urinary problems such as, you know, weak flow, you're starting to wake up at nighttime, you're having to go to the bathroom more frequently, uh, typically we'll start with medications. You know, we actually have several different classes of medications that we can use either to help you relax that urine channel or to shrink your prostate medically, um, you know, which is generally a first-line treatment. But beyond that, if the medications are not working enough or somebody is having, you know, symptoms that are still bothersome, then we have different types of procedures or surgeries that we can do uh, to help some, you know, someone with a urinary problems. How many times getting up at night is too many times? Because every guy I talk to, and woman also, uh, get up during the night to go pee-pee. You know, that's a very individualized um, um, uh, question. You know, some patients, uh, if they get up, you know, two or three times, it can bother them quite a bit because they have difficulty going back to uh, So that's too many times for that person. Yeah, and then there are others who may not. In general, we know that as, as long as somebody is getting up two or less times, typically it doesn't impact their overall rest. So that next morning when they wake up, they're, they're still well rested. But generally, again, as a rule of thumb, if they're starting to wake up three, four or more times, then it starts to interfere with, with somebody's sleep. And that's not good. Exactly. That's not. And then typically that's when, you know, patients will bring it up with the primary care doctors that it's bothersome. You know, what can be done about it? Now, does an enlarged prostate indicate prostate cancer? Generally not. Um, we do know that enlarged prostate can also mm-hmm. make your PSA um, a little bit higher, which is one of the reasons why you could have a false positive, you know, with the PSA testing. Um, but, but generally, those are two separate things, and that's why, you know, enlarged prostate, uh, the diagnosis is generally considered benign prostatic hyperplasia, you know, not cancerous. Which is why sometimes the PSA, for those that choose to get the PSA, it's followed more as a, um, uh, you know, you continuously order the test, you know, and over a period of time, you can see how high it's going up. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, you know, as... Uh, uh, as you had pointed out, uh, you know, older men tend to have already an elevated PSA because of an enlarged prostate. And if they're asymptomatic and the PSA is, you know, under the threshold of what would be considered, uh, you know, abnormal for their age group, right. then you don't need to do mm-hmm. anything, even though it's elevated. Now, is the jury still out on whether digital exams should be done on men 65 and over? What's the 
uh, rule of thumb in that? No, again, there are a lot of controversy and people have varying views. My personal view is that uh, I don't think the jury is still out. I think there is good evidence that shows that just in, in, in terms of screening, you know, digital rectal exam does not add much. You know, there are a lot more false positive and a lot more false negatives. You Thank know, you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is, uh, you know, a very useful tool uh, for further evaluation, meaning if somebody has had an elevated PSA, or somebody's having urinary symptoms. Those are the settings when it's useful. But just in a, uh, somebody who's not having any kind of problems, or a prostate uh, I, infection, I don't think they need a, a digital exam. Like prostatitis, you know, sometimes exactly. you oh. know, it can be useful then. I, I, we don't need to get too deep in the weeds here, but I, I've always been curious how, as a physician, your index finger becomes so sensitive and knowledgeable that it can actually detect what's going on with your prostate. How does it know? It's just pattern recognition, right? You just do it enough times. Uh, and for urologists, the benefit is that, you know, we also get, um, you know, kind of follow-up data, you know, because you kind of do a digital exam. A lot of the times we're doing additional procedures, either an ultrasound, biopsy, surgery, so that we can objectively know whether our estimate is correct or incorrect. And as over time, you know, you just uh, get that more and more reinforced um, but it's really a pattern recognition, I mean, and right. you know, that, that's all it is. Got to stop you right there, flat out of time. Do me a favor, stay on the phone after we say goodbye to you. Uh, Dr. Beck uh, has a question for you off air. I'm Ron Aaron. We thank very much Dr. Niraj Badawala for joining us. Physician with USMD up in Dallas, I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Dr. Joshua Beck, we thank you for listening to WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.